It's um, good to see you all. I don't know if you know that this Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. I don't know how many of you knew that, but that's what it is. And um, traditionally, Advent is a time of waiting. It's a time of waiting for the light to come, waiting for Christmas to come. And obviously, if you think about that, if we're waiting for the light to come in Advent, then we must be in darkness right now. Because you can't have, you know, um, if you've got light, you can't have darkness, really. It's quite tricky. So there's a sense in which, as we come into Advent, actually, we're, we're in a time of darkness, but heading towards a time of light. And you know what? I think sometimes the danger in, in a kind of Christmas season is that we, we can jump too quickly straight into the light and kind of, kind of gloss over the darkness, just throw a couple of Christian platitudes at it and sort of carry on. And actually, tonight, I, I, I don't know if, if some of you are feeling in the darkness tonight. I, I really hope not. But I suspect there will be a, at least a few of you who are. And I should think every one of us here tonight knows someone in the darkness, even if we're not in ourselves in a difficult place at the moment. And so if you are feeling troubled, if you are feeling alone, if you are feeling at the bottom, if you are feeling like your prayers aren't being answered, if you're feeling like, oh God, what are you doing? If you're feeling traumatized in some way, if you're feeling fear and, and, and just really torn with anxiety, some kind of trauma, whatever it is, if you're feeling in that way, know that you have a friend in the Bible. And that friend... It's Heman. Ah. <laughs> Do you know Heman? Heman was the man who wrote Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 is the most depressing psalm in the whole Bible. It is miserable. And um, Psalm 88, along with Psalm 39, are the only psalms that do not end with any note of hope at all. And uh, so I thought, for, to begin the Advent season, we're going to begin in complete darkness here tonight. And hopefully by Christmas Day we'll get to the light, but we may not rush it. So we're going to look at Psalm 88 together, so let me read it to you. And by the way, I don't know, if it, Tim Keller preached on this psalm uh, just over a month ago at HTB, and I nicked a few of his ideas, but I promise you it's a little bit different. But... Um, just in case some of you listen to that. So, Psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? 
Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors. I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow, hallelujah, eh? (laughs) The sort of first question you might think as you read that psalm is, why on earth is this in the Bible? How did this get in? Well, we believe all scripture is God-breathed. And therefore it's in there because God wanted it to be in there. He's not sitting up in heaven going, oh no, I can't believe I let that one in. That was a bit stupid. He put it in there for a reason. And there is some encouragement, some hope in there for us, something for us to learn from it. And you know what? I think the first thing that we can learn from this psalm is to get real. He wants us to get real. Get real with the way you feel with God. Let it all out. If this psalm, whatever you think of this psalm, one thing it surely says is just lay your heart out to God. Tell him how it really is. It's like God is saying to us through this psalm, Speak to me. Just speak to me. Just say it how it is. I want to hear from you. And you know what? Human complains. I'm troubled. I'm alone. I'm unwell. You're not listening to me. You're not taking action. My life's pointless. You've not been there for me. He's got this kind of sarcastic rhetorical question. Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? There is nothing deferential, nothing respectful about the way he's saying this. What does it show us? The fact that God allows this into the Bible, it shows us that God is a God of grace. That you can just say it anyway. There's no right, perfect, whatever way to come to Him. He just wants you to say it. And it shows us He's a God of grace in letting this be in the Bible. And you know what? I think uh, Heman's friends also modeled this grace to him. You've also got the sons of Korah there um, as part of this psalm. And um, in, in, the, in the introduction you'll see. And um, the, the sons of Korah didn't sort of say to him, pull yourself together, Heman, stop this, not, let's chuck this one out, let's destroy this psalm, that's not a good one. They, they, they said, oh gosh, I think we, we, we better find a good tune for this one. And it says in the thing, they've got the, the tune to this, it's called the suffering of affliction. You know, they're entering right into the misery with Heman. They're getting down deep and low with him. And what else does that tell us? It tells us that God is with us in our suffering, just like Heman's friends entered into it. So God wants to enter into it with us and be with us in that place, not leave us alone with it. Psalm 88 also kind of begs the question in this, as we kind of think about getting real with God. What what expectations should we have 
of God and our faith. Most of us, I hope, have sort of, you know, pretty good, positive expectations. You know, that, that, that there will be love, there will be joy, there will be peace. There will be these, these things that kind of flow out of our faith. And, and they are good expectations and they are right expectations and we should expect that. But also, Psalms like this show us that if we follow God wholeheartedly, we can still expect suffering. And uh, human, human still believes, even though he's in this place of darkness. And you know what? It's an encouragement to us because it tells us we can still believe and be in a place of darkness. You haven't necessarily messed up and screwed everything up in your relationship with God if you're in a place of darkness. You know, suffering in itself is bad enough. It's bad enough suffering, but it's even worse if you're sitting there constantly thinking, is this my fault? Have I, how can this be happening to me? This should not be happening to me. It just kind of puts even more burden on the suffering. Well, you know what? I know someone way better than each of you here tonight who's more righteous, who prays more, who's more holy, and he's suffered way more than you. And his name is Jesus. And that's who we follow. And he said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. So we need to get real with our expectations. And you know what? When we're in the darkness, just getting real and saying, this is how it can be sometimes. It lifts a whole lot of burdens. Because actually, it's not our fault. There is suffering in this world, and we have to enter into it sometimes. The other thing, as well as kind of getting real from this psalm, I, I, I think it's also an encouragement to hold on. To hold on and persevere with God. And um, in that holding on, there is a treasure that can come out of that. There is some deep treasure that can come out when we hold on in suffering. You know, um, as I was saying, what Haman says, it, it's sarcastic, it's kind of faithless in most of it. It's dishonoring to God in some of it. But the thing is, Haman was still saying this stuff to God. And when we say stuff to God, what is that? It's a prayer, isn't it? He was still praying. He was still communicating with God. It's kind of ranty and, and, and you know, Rosanna gave us a little good example of her ranty stuff with God. She, like Heman, was still talking to God. Was still communicating. Was still keeping those channels open. And you know what? If we hold on in the darkness, if we hold on in prayer, there's a treasure not only... Uh, for us in the way our character is formed there is also a treasure in in our witness you know when we first come to God in our relationship with him um, it's, it's it can often be a little bit transactional you know we we, we we come to God and we need healing we feel alone we need community we feel broken in some way and we need binding up and we come to God and he does that stuff in us and we're like hallelujah I'll serve you I love you and that's all good but if our relationship just stays on that kind of transactional level, 
what happens when we stop getting some good stuff? Oh, don't think he loves me anymore. I don't know if I'm into this anymore. I think I'm going to walk away now. And, and if we just remain in that transactional relationship, it will be up and down. And the other thing about being in a transactional relationship is other people will look at us. And when it's going great, they'll, they'll be like, well, it's not going great for me. Um, you know, great for you. I would, I would serve God too if, if I got all that good stuff. But I'm not getting that good stuff, so I don't want anything to do with him. Great for you, though. You go and serve God and get all that good stuff, but he's not giving it to me. You know, this psalm uh, hopefully reminds you too of the book of Job. And, and, and the book of Job, you know, he, 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 he's crying out to God in the darkness. And Job, um, Satan says to God at the beginning of the book of Job, he says this, does Job fear God for nothing? And basically he's saying, it's because you've blessed Job, Job that he loves you. Take it all away and he'll curse you. Satan's basically saying, Job's just in a transactional relationship with you. He just loves you for what he's going to get from you. You stop giving it to him, Job will walk away. And what we know in the book of Job is actually he doesn't. But Job, like Haman in his distress, he says a lot of silly things and he kind of goes off in all sorts of directions. He's pretty upset. But the thing is, he never turns away from God and he doesn't curse him. He stays in that connection. And you know what's interesting? God, at the end of the book of Job, God says, Job honored me. How did he honor him? By staying in that communication. By not cursing him. By keeping in communication. And when we keep going in the darkness, when we keep praying in the darkness, when we keep reaching out to him in the darkness, we start to grow a faith that is solid, that is not self-centered that is not up and down depending on what we're getting out of God, but is full of an endurance, a stability, a strength that can see us through. And that becomes an amazing witness to other people. You know, I've got a friend um, who was a chaplain in the RAF, and um, he, uh, he, he'd been in uh, a, a couple of years as, as a chaplain, and he was very good at like, you know, getting out there and sharing his faith with all, 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 all the other people and the commanding officer and all sorts. He was always sharing his faith. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. It was in his bowel. And um, we were all praying and praying, praying for his healing. But then it spread to his liver. And then it spread all around his body. And he reached a point in his last few weeks where his wife said to us, can you stop praying for healing now? Just just pray he has a, has a peaceful end. It's too much distress. It's, it's the end. And um, uh, Pete's commanding officer came in to see him. You know, they kept in touch and came in to see him. And Pete led his commanding officer to, to faith in Jesus. And the reason why the commanding officer came to faith in Jesus, because he saw Pete wasn't trying to get anything out of God. He just loved him. He just loved Jesus. And he just exuded this peace and this joy in Jesus, even though there was nothing kind of left for him to get out of God. He just has exuded that love. And you know what? It's the same for us. That, that, that God loves you and me in exactly the same way. 
He's not trying to get something out of you by loving you. He's not trying to manipulate you into doing something for you by loving you. He just loves you. And what he's trying to grow in us often in the darkness is that we would just love him for the sake of loving him. And we can absolutely trust his love is pure because he's shown it to us in Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't get anything out of that. He did that for you and for me. He, he didn't get anything out of it. It was a totally selfless act. So we get real with God and we experience this God of grace. We kind of hold on in the darkness and keep communicating. And the final thing is we hope on. We keep hoping. I don't know if you notice, in this most bleak of Psalms, of Psalm 88, there is one note of little hope in the very first verse. Heman says, you are the God who saves me. Not you are the God who might save me or could save me. He says, you are the God who saves me. That is your character. That is who you are. And actually with Haman, even though he's pretty miserable in Psalm 88, life isn't as bad as he kind of makes out in that psalm. Uh, if you look in 1 Chronicles, you'll find him popping up in 1 Chronicles 6 and in a few other places. And it turns out Haman is, is appointed along with Asaph and one other as to be the kind of worship leaders for, for David. And, and uh, you know, he has a pretty important role and in involved in the kind of choral and, 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 and orchestral music. And, and we see Haman, he even has 14 sons and three daughters. I mean, you know, that's quite complicated, but it's a pretty blessed life, you know what I mean? He's done, you know, he's, he's, things aren't going that badly. And if we look, the, the other thing to point out about Haman is, is he was also one of the sons of Korah. So he was actually involved in writing, uh, the, the sons of Korah wrote 11 psalms. And so that we, we find out other things about him. And in Psalm 44, it says, which is another quite bleak psalm, at the end it says, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. So Haman could have better days. He knew what it was to declare God's faithfulness, God's goodness. He had some hope. And we hope on. And the thing about Haman is, to, for his hope, what did he have? He could look to Moses. He could look to Abraham. He could look to kind of the Jewish history and see who God was and and all the wonderful things he does, how faithful, how compassionate, how forgiving God was. But as much as Haman had all that, there's one thing Haman did not have. Haman didn't have Christmas. He didn't have the supreme revelation in Jesus. We have got it so much better because we can look through the lens of Jesus at all of our darkness, at all of our suffering, and we have this supreme revelation which Haman could only see dimly. We can see in glorious technicolor through the life of Jesus. You know, Haman asked that question Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up to praise us? We just look through Jesus and we say, Yeah, they do. They do rise up to praise you. And Heman asks, I'm he says, I'm excluded. I'm cut off from your care. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. 
And we can look at those words and say, actually, no. Your wrath does not lie heavily upon me. It lies heavily upon Jesus. In fact, he took the full wrath, Jesus, on the cross. And we can look there. And we can know then, I'm not cut off from your cash because your wrath was on him. We've just been singing that song, all your promises are yes and amen. And Paul says in, in the letter of the Corinthians, doesn't he? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I.e., we look through the lens of Christ and we lay a hold of those promises and we say amen to them. I.e., let it be. Amen means let it be. Let it be in my life. So that's what we do in the dark places. We hope on in those promises. I don't know what that promise is you need to take hold of tonight. Maybe that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that you'll never be separated from it. I don't know what it is. But hold, put your hope there through Jesus. And as Paul writes in Romans, we consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, Haman in this psalm makes out that his suffering is permanent, it's absolute, it's objective reality. And the fact is, his suffering is temporary, his suffering is relative, his suffering, he is being refined in the fire. And actually, there is gold, there is treasure that he's finding and will display to the world. You know, all those psalms, they haven't just been read by a few thousand, a few million. They've been read probably by over a billion people now. The life of Haman has reached out to. As uh, Rosanna ended on, Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All things. Henrik stood up here a few weeks ago. Do you remember that? And saying my percentage of living, it was, when he was diagnosed with leukemia, it was 50%. Then he, the first round of chemo failed. It went down to 40%. Then, oh no, 30%. Then uh, the bone marrow transplant, he was told it was 20% that he would survive. And then he had that revelation moment. But God, it is 100%. You can use this for good. 100%. So, let's keep in mind that the light, the light of Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And in the darkness, we can find a God of grace. When we get real with him, when we hold on to him, when we hope in his promises, there is real treasure there. As Isaiah 9, which you will hear read over Christmas, I'm sure, says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Amen.